and welcome to Passing the Baton number 46 and the title of this one is The Prize Running the Race, Receiving the Prize and the date is the 26th of February 2011 Let's pray shall we? Father thank you Thank you Lord that you've called us into your story You've called us into your plan. We are fellow labourers together with you. We're not the initiators. You are. Help us to remember, Lord, that you don't need us or our ideas. You're so great. You simply ask us to cooperate with you in your eternal plan. And, Lord, you share your glory with us. Thank you that everything we do is initiated by you and it carries a reward. We rejoice in you, we bless you, we thank you. You are our inheritance and we are yours. Focus us today, Father, on your eternal purposes for us. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, heavenly community, you have placed us in you and you love us equally with your Son, Jesus. You made us, you formed us, and you called us into yourselves. You give us everything we need, and then you reward us. Amazing God, we bless you, glorious Trinity. Open the eyes of our hearts to receive what you want to say to us today, Father. If we need any mid-course correction, please cause us to hear. Lord, I ask that you will make us determine in our hearts to be Father-pleasers that like Jesus we will be able to say, I only do what the Father does. I only do what the Father tells me to do. Because Father, it is in doing that that we receive a reward. So we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. This study follows hard on the heels of inheritance and personal responsibility, which was our theme for January 2011. In the eyes of the Father, we are already one with Christ. Betrothed to him, as in the one flesh relationship of marriage, because we are united to him in spirit. Father has answered Jesus' high priestly prayer that may, we may be one as they are one. John 17:21. Julian of Norwich puts it like this we are already one with him we are already wed to him so since we are united to Christ in spirit God makes no distinction between Jesus and the least soul that is to be saved he loves us even as he loves his son Jesus the love of God is not measured out in degrees. There was never a point where God began to love us. He's always loved us. Our finite minds have such difficulty understanding that. Love is the wedding gift and the garment that the Holy Spirit gives to us the moment we believe. In endless love and righteousness we are wrapped and protected and in eternal love we are led on, sealed and kept by the Holy Spirit who is the deposit guaranteeing our salvation. 
2 Corinthians 1, 21-22 in the New American Standard says, Now he who established us with you in Christ and anointed us is God. He who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Hear this word from an old saint, Augustine. What is man's ultimate good in this earthly life? It's to live with our eyes on the goal, the prize of our faith, the upward calling to the city of God, which shines ahead of us and high above us. When we fix our eyes on this city on a hill, Matthew 5:14 to 16 the joy and longing within to reach its bright walls causes us to lay aside every earthly weight, Hebrews 12.1. Its shining light of truth becomes our inner government, regulating all that we do so that we make wise and good choices. If we follow this light, it will keep us from turning off the path into dark byways, so we delay in reaching the goal or miss it altogether. That paragraph actually would stand some meditation upon. If you're not in the habit of meditation, I would really urge you to begin to think deeply about the things of God and about the things that these old saints said. And that particular extract is taken from Early Will I Seek You, a daily reading book by David Hazard on the writings of Augustine, 40 Days um, with Augustine it is, available on um, Amazon. And you can get it on Kindle. This month then we're looking at running the race and obtaining the prize. And before you begin this study, be aware that even before he made us, he knew our weaknesses and failings. He knew we would stumble along the pathway. But here his encouragement to leave all that behind and run the race to win. Do not allow yourself to be discouraged. That is the weapon of the enemy. God is for you. So run that you may win and obtain the prize that he has set aside for you. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. And there is a prize, a reward, for every one of us. Looking at this subject of rewards is not a light subject, nor is it an easy task. There are crowns to be won and a prize to gain at the end of this race we call life. So I ask you to hear my heart as we go through. This is not a set of rules for you to follow. It's freedom to surrender and abandon yourselves to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, with whom you will reign and rule for eternity. And he is for you, beloved. He is so for you. He wants you to obtain the prize with all of his great heart. And our hearts will find no true rest until we are completely possessed by him. And we can say with the beloved in the Song of Songs, I am possessed by God. Julian of Norwich again said, God of your goodness, give me yourself. 
for you are sufficient for me. And the beloved in the Song of Songs 6.3 said, I am my beloved's and he is mine. The church is currently being wooed by her bridegroom lover in an unprecedented way. Will you respond to his voice this day? In Jewish culture, the bridegroom offers his bride a cup to drink. And in offering her the cup, he says, Will you partake of it and accept my offer of marriage? Will you come and will you drink? And here's a quote now from Francis Frangipan. It comes from his book, Holiness, Truth and the Presence of God, to be republished on the 1st of March, 2011. And it makes an interesting correlation between the Virgin Mary and the Church. He sees the eternal spiritual seed which was implanted in us at the rebirth as the same seed as was implanted in Mary, culminating in Jesus' natural birth. I have to say I totally agree with him. And he says this. I don't agree with everything he says, but I'm not going to show you where I don't. Um, you've got to pick that out for yourself. Before Jesus himself returns, the last virgin church shall become pregnant with the promise of God. Out of her travail the body of Christ shall come forth, raised to the full stature of its head, the Lord Jesus. Corporately manifested in holiness, power and love, the bride of Christ shall arise clothed in white garments, bright and clean. During this last and greatest move of God, great darkness shall cover the earth. Even as the judgment of Egypt, it will be a darkness that can be felt. Yet in the midst of darkness, the visible, powerful glory of the Lord Jesus shall rise upon the Virgin Church. His glory shall be seen upon them. Nations shall be drawn to their light, kings to the brightness of their rising. Radiant shall they appear, for their hearts shall possess the beautiful star of the morning. In holy array from the womb of the dawn their light shall exult like the dew. And he gives various scriptures. I'll go slowly so that you can take them down. Ephesians 4 verse 13 Revelation 2 26 to 27 Exodus 10 21 Isaiah 60 1 to 3 which you will already have recognized 2 Peter 1 19 and Psalm 1101-3 I would urge you to look up those scriptures the one from Revelation 2 is the church at Thyatira the persecuted church hello last virgin church this is a wake-up call we are in the culmination of the church age the next event on God's calendar is the rapture, the catching away of the church. But before that happens, difficult times are coming. Darkness is closing in on the world as we know it. According to God's eternal timetable, things will never be the same again. 
we cannot keep closing our eyes. It's high time for the bride to waken from her slumber and look up, for her bridegroom draws near. Ephesians 5:14, New American Standard For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. If you think about it just for a moment, you'll see that that matches Isaiah 60, verses 1 to 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Christ is coming back for a glorious, spotless bride, so we need to get serious now. My question to you today, and it's the only one I have for you, is are you ready? Are you ready for the parousia, the catching away of the church, the coming of the Holy One to take you to himself forever? Are you ready for your works done in the body to be assessed in order that you may gain an eternal inheritance? Or does the whole idea of the fact that he might come any time fill you with dismay because you've got plans of your own? Birthing Christ Within the aim of any ministry of the word is to form Christ within those who are listening with a view to obeying. Not just those who listen, but those who listen with a view to obeying. The Greek word is hupokeu, to listen with a view to obeying. Literally the Greek is hupa, H-U-P-A, which means under, and akou, to hear, A-K-O-U-O. So Paul says in his epistles that his hearers should listen under the apostolic injunctions with a view to obedience, so that Christ may be formed in the hearers, for whom he himself is in the pangs of childbirth until Christ is formed in them. As he says in Galatians 4.19, and this is the message version, do you know how I feel right now and will feel until Christ's life becomes visible in your lives? Like a mother in the pain of childbirth. Any of you who have been in that uh, situation will know exactly how Paul was feeling. This wasn't just a little twinge. He was racked with the pain of trying to bring forth Christ in his hearers. And we'll see a little later on um, that Jesus himself spoke about those who just listened with no intention of obeying. As a teacher, I can see where people are just listening. They appear to be attentive, but they're a bit like a funnel. It goes in one end and it comes out the other. They're attentive while they hear you, but it drops straight through. The rabbis, you know, were always looking for disciples who listened and obeyed and put into practice the words that were being spoken. They were scanning all the time for people who were actually going to become rabbis themselves. 
So Jesus spoke of those who just listened with no intention of obeying and he constantly enjoined the Jews to hear him by using the words, he who has an ears to, ears to hear, let him hear. Or in Hebrew, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Elokino Adonai Echod. Hear, Israel, listen up, y'all. And it was God's cry throughout the Old Testament to his people. Listen, 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 obey, 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 that it might be well with you. Jesus himself says, you are my friends if you obey my commandment. He only gives us one, that is to love one another. And if you love one another, you are his friend. Conditional promise. The aim then, the goal and the ultimate plan of God is this, that Christ be formed in you. It's only as you abide in the vine, not go running off across the car park, the vine is Christ, allowing his life, his sap, to throw, flow through you that fruit bearing is guaranteed. So you can see that a funnel will not bear much fruit. Everything is dropping out the bottom. There is no rising nourishment. John fifteen sixteen to 17 in the Amplified says this. This is Jesus choosing of us. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and I have appointed you, I have planted you, that you might go and bear fruit and keep on bearing, and that your fruit may be lasting, that it may remain, abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, as presenting all that I am, he may give it to you. This is what I command you, that you love one another. 613 commandments condensed down to one. Love God first, then love one another. Augustine said, love God and do as you like. Someone I spoke to about that was absolutely scandalized. But what he was saying was, if you love God, really love him for who he is, not what you can get out of him or your gifting and promotion of yourself, not for the completion of your vision, not because you're raping him because you want to get something out of him or you want to achieve something, not that you're using him to meet your own needs, Eros. We'll talk about that later on this year, I think. You can do what you like because you won't want to do anything that will interfere or mar that most precious of all relationships, yours with the Father of Lights. Distilled down everything for an audience of one. When you have that vital living relationship with God the Father and with His Son and with the Holy Spirit, you do not want to do anything that would get you out of sync with him. 
causes a holy life absolutely effortlessly. And by holy I do not mean puritanical. I mean separated. Separated to him, possessed by him, and that is all you want. Him. Everything God does is relational. And this scripture in John 15, the one that we read just now about the choosing and abiding, makes it clear that the choosing, appointing, anointing, separation and ordination, the setting apart of us as believers, is the work of the Holy Spirit. And everything but everything depends on us abiding in Him, staying where we've been placed by the Father, through the Holy Spirit, in the Son. You were impregnated with the eternal seed as surely as you were conceived in the womb of your mother. The Holy Spirit is even now brooding over that priceless seed to bring forth the Christ life in you. The Father planned that this eternal seed which contains the fullness and perfection of God himself be released through you in order that you be fruitful. In other words, what has been planted in you should grow and prosper, bringing forth the nature and character of Christ, Christ fully formed in you, with all his goodness, kindness, love, compassion and power. It was for this purpose that Father sent the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, who indwells you. Everything God does with you enables you to do thing, two things. The first is to, that you may get to know him better, relational. And the second is that you might know yourself better. And that is not a condemnation. He doesn't ask us to ignore our emotions. He asks us to allow him to redeem them. So everything you experience can be turned to profit if it's approached in the right way. Mark 4.28 The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. With young Christians, intimacy is intermittent. We come and go in our intimacy with God. We're thrilled with Him. We are excited we could hug a tree. But our actual intimacy with Him is intermittent. And we grow into the place of abiding and fruitfulness. We're all somewhere on that journey of growing into the place of abiding and fruitfulness. But on that narrow road into the heart of God, the place of abiding, there are pulls which will pull you first one way and then the other, so your path is somewhat a zigzag. There is a tremendous pressure upon Christians at the moment being pulled by the darkness out there in the world. And it's very plausible. 
because it's plausible probably means it's the enemy so watch where you're being pulled towards So the maturity of that divine seed has got everything to do with our production and inheritance in the here and now and also in the age to come. That which is kept in heaven for you. It's the Father's desire that you should inherit. He withholds nothing of himself or of his great plan from you. All is accessible to you through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Enter then into an inheritance that cannot ever perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. That's 1 Peter 1 4 in the NIV. It's there. Just in the same way as when we spoke about our personal responsibility, it's there. You can only trade it or lose it. It's set aside for you. God wants you to come into it. He's not rewarding you when he sees how you run. The reward is there. You can only erode it by the choices you make, by the trades that you do, by the way that you choose something else above him. This is an urgent word, beloved. It is an urgent word. Time for us is running out. We need to make the most of the time for the days. We need to redeem it for the days are evil. So what we're going to be talking about today are our eternal rewards, our heavenly inheritance, which is dependent on how we choose to live this life. Abandoned to Jesus or going our own way. You can't lose your salvation, whatever you choose. But you can suffer the loss of reward that is set aside for you if you choose to follow your plan rather than his for your life. It's the two staircases. I think I've probably spoken about it before. A dear friend of mine, a pastor, spoke years ago about two staircases and him being in heaven. And he saw these one staircase had pictures of himself up the side that he recognized where the things situations he'd been in but the other staircase which was also full of pictures of himself were in places that he'd never been and he said to the Lord what is this why am I in one and not in the other and father said to him that depends on your choices that was what I planned for you the ones you don't recognize but your choices took you up that one and he said at that time I don't want to go up the staircase of my own choices it's sober but it's not a threat so back to the script hey we will explore the parable of the sower and the seed the importance of our foundations, the parable of the wise and the foolish builders, the parable of the talents, and we'll look at the Bema seat of Christ and the judgment seat spoken of in the book of Revelation, the great white throne, and who will actually stand before that. And we will look at how we can ensure that we're ready for that great day, running the race in such a way as to receive our crowns and our inheritance, which is reserved for us.
again, quoting from the book I spoke of earlier, Francis Frangipan says this, We are called to become a holy bride, the spotless wife of Jesus Christ. But before we become a bride, we must first become a virgin. In the Bible, a virgin was not just one who was free from the sins of premarital sex or immoral behaviour. A virgin was also one set aside for another. The emphasis is mine. The sense in which the church is to become virginal involves being incorruptible and pure and undefiled by the world. This implies being untouched by man's ideas, traditions or sinfulness. To reach the goal of spiritual virginity, we must first be perfectly consecrated, wholly set apart for Jesus. 2 Corinthians 11, 2 and 3 in the NIV I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Like everything, I'm still quoting uh, Francis Frangipan now. In, in true Christianity, the purity of the church is not that which originates from herself. It is that which is imparted as virtue from Christ. It's true living virtue, but it's Christ's virtue. Jesus, you will remember, was also a virgin. He'd set himself aside for us. Christ himself is in us. However, for him to come forth through us, we must become a pure virgin. Revival comes as Christ prepares for himself a people. As he is raised up within them, he draws all men to himself. Their Christ-likeness is a door through which Jesus himself enters the world. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice an offering thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. Hebrews 10.5 While descriptive of Christ's first coming, this verse is also applicable of his presence during revival. We must not despise this time of preparation. Jesus himself lived for 30 years before he was revealed and empowered as Messiah. Although Jesus was always the Son of God, he kept increasing in wisdom, Luke 2.52. He could not learn of the kingdom of God in the rabbinical colleges of his day, neither could any man teach him the mystery of the miraculous. All this had to come directly from the Father himself. Jesus was always sinless and obedient. But Hebrews 5.8 and 9 tells us, Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered, having been made perfect. In this regard, perfect means mature. The destiny the Father planned for Christ was something Jesus grew into, just as we must. The voice of God spoke, not to the crowds, not only for the sake of John the Baptist, but to Jesus. The requirements and days of preparation were fulfilled. The ministry of the Messiah was birthed upon the earth in power. I'm still reading from Francis' book. And then he talks about Mary as a type of church.
In another sense, Mary, the mother of Jesus, also was a body God has prepared, Hebrews 10.5. When Christ first entered our world as a child, it was Mary whom God chose to give Christ birth. Mary's life symbolised the qualities the church must possess to walk in the fullness of Christ. She was humble, considering herself a bondservant of the Lord. She unwaveringly believed the words spoken to her, Luke 1, 34-38, and Mary was a virgin. These traits qualified her to be used by God in carrying and giving birth to the Christ. Like Mary, our humble state as the Lord's bond slaves is but a preparation for the coming forth of Christ in our lives. Yes, we have been chastened of the Lord. However, the goal of the Lord's chastening is not merely to punish. This is where I disagree. God never punishes. So that is my place of disagreement. But I have to quote what he says. He seeks to make us chaste pure and spiritually flawless. Indeed, our purity, our spiritual virginity as the body of Christ, is nothing less than God himself preparing us, as he did Mary, to give birth to the ministry of his Son. What price your ministry? That was in parenthesis. Even now, in the spiritual womb of the Virgin Church, the holy purposes of God are growing, awaiting maturity, ready to be born in power in the timing of God. We live within a time frame the Bible calls the period of restoration, Acts 3.21. Since the Reformation, the truth of Christ has been progressively restored to his church. Since the dark ages of apostasy, every time Christ's presence has been more fully revealed, it's because a virgin church has been in labour to bring him forth. The Holy Spirit impregnates a Martin Luther or a John Wesley, a housewife or a teenager in Bethlehem, a person whom God knows will continually say yes to him with a vision of the living God. The vision spreads to others where it is tested with persecutions and refined with fire, but it spreads. Yes, these people are flawed. Truly, not one of them is perfect. But along the way, their vision of God possesses their souls. Now here I disagree too, but it's okay. They become the woman clothed with the sun. The woman clothed with the sun, beloved, is Israel, but that's okay. The virgin church who is in labour and in pain to give birth. Revelation 12, 1 and 2. You can use these pictures so long as you don't take them too far. So Francis goes on. As her hour nears, this virgin church lays aside her many tasks to focus on her one great commission. Through intense prayer and the agonizing of the Holy Spirit, in groanings too deep for words, she embraces her appointed destiny until the very voice of Christ himself is heard again through her prayers. Lo, I have come to do thy will, O God birthed in his spirit and in his power, fused together through love and suffering, this holy people becomes, as it were, a body God has prepared. Even now, hell trembles 
and the heavens watch in awe, for I say to you once again, the virgin is with child. That ends Francis' quote. So may God cause us, beloved, to be aware of the shortness of the hour and the Father's plan that Christ may be birthed in us, that the very voice of his Son may come through us in love, purity, wisdom and righteousness. The Virgin is in very deed with child. And the heart of the issue, my beloved, is the heart. God is always addressing our hearts. He's fully aware of our weaknesses and looks upon us with his eyes full of compassion and mercy. His heart is full of grace towards us. He knows we walk on broken legs. He alone knows the extent to which we have fallen. He knows we are bent in our inmost being towards the creature. Nothing about us is straight. We are warped, bent on the inside towards our centre, which is ourself, because of the fall. And he asks nothing of us, but that we be willing to let him straighten us from the inside out, re-centering us so that our centre may become Christ himself. He wants to strengthen us and restore us to our full beauty that we might shine as lights as we hold out the words of life to a crooked and perverse generation. Philippians 2.14, New King James Version. He only ever looks at us through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. He passes his hand over all the scratches and marks that life has brought us. And like a restorer of old furniture, he sees what we can become. And then he begins his work. He never forces us, but gently encourages us to grow. His goodness is everlasting and ever flows towards us. His mercy is unending, his beauty incomparable. He's a giver. He cannot help himself. He gives and he gives and he gives. And he doesn't ask anything in return. His love outflows. It doesn't require that it flows back to him. He wants us to receive rewards. He is for us, not against us. He is on our side and he loves us without reserve, with all his heart, soul, mind and strength. And he never asks us to do something that he doesn't already do himself. He is altogether lovely. So when he asks us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, He's asking us to open ourselves to him, body, soul and spirit, in order that he may come in, in his fullness. And to the extent that we're able to do this, we see his nature 
reproduced in us. Father trusts and rewards what we manifest of his Son. God is agricultural. He's concerned with the production of fruit in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit, which is the release of the nature and character of Jesus produced by him because of his indwelling in us. This is the maturity that Father looks for, the character of Jesus formed in us, the love of God flowing into us and through us. It is this which Father will bless and anoint, what he sees in us of his Son. He will never anoint the flesh. So only the Holy Spirit can actually produce any good in us at all. If he stripped us and showed us how we really look without his grace, we would all be horrified. We all have our own portrait of Dorian Gray in the attic, you know. If you don't know the story of this, go into Wikipedia, the online encyclopedia, and you'll find it there. He has covered us with his robe of righteousness, the bridal garment. Whilst he works undercover under this robe of righteousness to conform us to his very own image and likeness. And he's given us a new heart, a good heart from which to live. A heart which is obedient to him in every respect and cannot fail to bring forth good fruit. And we get to choose which heart we will live from at any particular moment. That is why our progress is like a wavy line because we're coming and going all the time but all the while traveling towards the heart of the Father. Genesis 1.27 tells us that God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. It's as we allow the Lord to do his work of restoration and reformation in us that the Holy Spirit changes our character and nature and flows through us, enabling us to do the works he's already planned in advance, which carry an eternal reward. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his poema, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so we would walk in them. You are God's poem. You are God's sonnet. He sings over you. You are, each one of you, totally individual. And he writes his poem of your life. How does your poem of your life compare with his poem? Look at those two staircases. Which one are you embarked on walking up? Ask him. Father, which staircase am I on? I don't want to get there and find these things you planned for me to do and I never did them because I was cavorting about pleasing my flesh somewhere because I wouldn't wait because I hadn't got the patience. If you want to learn about patience and waiting and mercy Enroll to listen to the Psalms of Ascent because they're all coming forth in Psalm 1, 2, 3. As the eyes of a maid look to her mistress. 
all about waiting and serving and mercy. As a plug. <laughs> so everything Father does in us produces fruit that is eternal. So God's love flowing through us produces the works that he's planned in advance for us to do. And because they were birthed in eternity, they'll last for eternity. They produce fruit which is imperishable. The Lord has chosen us as his co-workers. That means we must be yoked, linked to him, take our lead from him, follow his orders, stay there so that we work with him in tandem. 2 Corinthians 5.9 uh, in the New International Version. There's a new version out, 2010. It's a good one. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. So our goal is to please the Father, abide in him and walk with him. And the fruit grows on the branches that are abiding, dwelling, staying and remaining in the vine and receiving that vital sap, the life of the vine. Those that jump off don't produce. They're profitless and are burned up. We can't continue to do things our way and remain or abide in him. Abiding is synonymous with obedience. And your will is the primary vehicle for life in the spirit, not your feelings. Surrender to his will begins our journey of desire to please the Father, just as Jesus did. John 5.19 amplified. So Jesus answered them by saying, I assure you, I most solemnly tell you, the Son is able to do nothing of himself of his own accord, but he is able to do only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does is what the Son does in the same way in his turn. Jesus is always our model for everything. He went about doing good and healing all those who needed healing. And there's an eternal reward for soul winning. When a person is brought to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the result is eternal. The surest way to ensure gold on that day is leading people to the Lord. And it's also about living the transformed life, our progression from child to a son, from Abba to Father, the yield we personally bring forth from that eternal seed that was planted in us when we were born again the seed of the life of Christ over which the Holy Spirit yearns jealously. I understand that a seed you know can, can stay dormant for thousands of years and then be popped in the soil and actually bring forth fruit. You don't want the seed that God has sown in you to be dormant because everything else is bushing up. That'll, those bushings will just be leaves. When the husbandman comes looking for fruit, he looks under the leaves for the grapes. Don't be a vine that only produces leaves. That will have to be cast off and burnt. You won't be burnt, 
But what you're producing will be burnt, because it isn't fruit. Might be a lot of leaf going on there, a lot of wild growth going on there, but it's not producing fruit. Father is actually canaling us, channeling us right down right now into a narrow place so that we can come into those eternal rewards. The Father desires to bring a profound change into the very core of our being in order that we no longer live from our centre but become centred on Him. Loving what He loves, hating what He hates. Everything about us is bent. Even our idea of love is toxic and self-referential but He doesn't blame us or shame us. There's no shame, no blame. He gently restores us to his blueprint for our lives, changing our eros, which eats itself, into his agape. It's eros love, toxic, self-centered love, which causes what James calls wars and fights among us. We are born baptised in it. We are marinated it, beloved, in it, beloved, in our mother's womb. We cannot do anything to rid ourselves of it. The only thing we can do is yield to the eternal seed within which is being brooded over by the Holy Spirit, which puts to death the Eros in us. So what's an example of this Eros? James 4, 1-5 in the New King James shows us Headed up, pride promotes strife. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and don't have. You murder and covet and can't obtain. You fight and war. Yet you don't have because you don't ask and if you do ask you don't receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? The Holy Spirit sets a jealous watch over you. You are promised to one husband, to Christ. 2 Corinthians 11.2, New American Standard Bible For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. So... Delivering the goods, producing the fruit. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's, what's done in Christ will last. I've altered that little stanza because the last line read, Only what's done for Christ will last. And this is simply not true. Many, many, many people spend their lives working for God. 
but what they do or have done has not been initiated by him and will attract no reward on that day. It will be burned up as wood, hay and stubble. They may have travelled the world all their lives, but if it was their own idea or promoted by a wrong motive, it will count for nothing. We'll have a look at motives later. Isaiah had this to say in Isaiah 40 verse 6. A voice says, call out. Then he answered, what shall I call out? All flesh, grass. That's the literal translation. All flesh, grass. And like the grass, it fades and the flower withers. But the word of the Lord abides forever. We're all equal, beloved, when it comes to judgment of our works. It's not your reputation, your personality, your charisma, your ability to speak, your knowledge or anything else that counts. None of these count for anything. The cold fact is it's how much the Holy Spirit has been able to do through your life and mine that adds up to something that will get a reward on that day. So this brings the whole question of rewards into sharp focus and right back down to ground level fruit bearing a good crop it's all to do with the soil of your heart and surrender to the Holy Spirit it's the rewards for a life surrendered to the purposes of God and let me remind you God is no man's debtor you can't outgive him you cannot outgive him. You start giving and you'll find you can't outgive him. So there's no longer two lives to be lived but one. His through you. All the fullness of the Godhead is available to you. You can work the works that Jesus did and greater works than he did because he said so. But that's a condition. You lay down your life so that he comes to reign and rule in and through you. You follow his agenda for your life, not yours. You work to his motives, not yours. You become a father pleaser, as he was. So whether you're a housewife or a bank manager, a school teacher, a nurse, a child, the playing field is level. It applies to us all. We all get to choose. 30, 60, 100 fold return. You choose. And we'll all stand alone on that day before the judgment seat of Christ to receive our reward. There will be no finger pointing. You won't be able to see what I've done. I'm sure Jesus will take us behind the curtain and do the business. And there'll be no one to blame either. No fingers to point. Well, if it hadn't have been for X, Y and Z, I would have done X, Y and Z. We take responsibility for our own level of reward. So just how much were we prepared to let Christ have his rightful place in our lives? Not all of us will be called to the mission field. Not all of us are evangelists or teachers or speakers or pastors. Not all of us have those offices. 
But if you're called into that office, then you need to know what you need to be doing in that office and not operating according to your own idea of what that office carries. You might be called to be the best wife and mother who ever walked the earth. To love your husband or wife without being loved in return. Or to live in a long-standing and difficult situation where you see no change day after day except that Christ is formed in you through the pressures, the trials, the sorrow. You might be called to live, um, to be a doctor or a dentist and serve the Lord in that way. The important thing is that whatever God has called you to do, you do it as unto the Lord. Colossians 3.17 Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to him through God the Father. And John 2, 5, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. The marvellous thing here and the glory of God is that every single one of us has the privilege, the ability to build and receive eternal rewards. None of us need go empty-handed on that day. None of us. So the parable of the sower. Interesting parable, this. And it speaks of varying levels of production, 30, 60 or 100-fold return. Some people doubt that a hundredfold production is possible. It would mean that for every grain put into the earth, a hundred more would be produced. Imagine what the world would look like if every believer was turning out a hundredfold return on their seed. The seed is top quality. It's the soil that determines the crop. How receptive you are to the word of God. If you're a gardener, you'll know that your crop of uh, fruit, vegetables, flowers will depend on how good the soil is that you put the seed into. If you've got poor soil, you won't get a return. So we need to uh, improve the quality of the soil and frequently we do by putting feed in there and peat and whatever is needful to enrich the soil. But the soil in, in the parable of the uh, sower is about the receptivity of the ear to the word of God. So I want you to see that the, it's the receptivity of your ear to what is being said even now. Because the parable of the sower is all about the hearers. And the soil described is about the soil of their heart how they responded having heard and what they did with the seed when they'd heard it. If you're not top quality soil, then even top quality seed won't produce a hundredfold. It'll produce 30, 60 or less. You might only reproduce yourself, in which case you'll only just about get to duplicate yourself. But it's always possible to improve the quality of your soil. So wherever you are in your Christian walk right now, it isn't too late. It isn't too late to have a change of mind. 
to to pivot on yourself and say, Father, I've been going in the wrong direction all these years. I've been pleasing myself, doing my own thing. I bear the name Christian, but what's my life showing for it? It's not too late. You're not going to lose your salvation. This is about rewards. So Matthew thirteen three. Uh, Matthew thirteen three to twenty three in the NIV now. Then he told them many things in a, in parables, saying, A father went to sow a farmer, sorry, went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell up along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. You notice that even on the good soil, it's, it doesn't necessarily produce a hundred, it produces a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sold at sown, and that's gone into good soil. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Shema Yisrael. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever doesn't have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they don't see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn. And I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see but didn't see it, and to hear what you hear but didn't hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. So the message of the kingdom that Jesus is giving here is all about hearing, believing, and going on to produce. It's the fruit of a changed mind and lifestyle. A consistent change of direction.
and Jesus consistently says, whoever has ears, let them hear. We can't go into actually what he was saying here, but what he was really saying was, these people can hear, but I've closed their ears. That's why I speak to them in parables. Parables were easy ways of understanding. They were not complicated, because that's clear enough to us. We know what he's saying. So God's agricultural and he searches for the increase of the kingdom in our lives and this and other parables in Matthew 13 speak of the imperceptible growth of the seed in the lives of those who received the word, went on to obey it and ultimately produced a harvest. Hearing, retaining and persevering in the word equals a good crop in kingdom terms. So all four types of people in this illustration heard exactly the same message. They received the same seed and it was a good seed. So this message is about the response to what was said. And Jesus refers back, as I've said, to the history of Israel where he sent the prophets to speak to the people and they consistently ignored the message. Do you know that if you consistently ignore something you'll go deaf? I know people who are deaf right now because they have consistently ignored what God has said. There's no physical reason for their deafness. Because God has brought upon them a deafness because they are spiritually deaf. And until they change their minds about hearing, they're not going to be released into being able to hear. We think these things that we do, you know, are not noticed, but a consistency of a way of walking will bring its own reward, and that reward is not a good one. So Jesus refers to the history of Israel where he'd sent the prophets to speak to the people who consistently ignored the message. That's why they were in the mess they were in. They were in the fourth cycle of God's discipline a nation occupied and under the control of another nation, Rome. And in the fifth and final cycle of discipline, they would be completely dispossessed of their land and scattered to the four corners of the globe where they actually largely remain to this day.